Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Our reading today is from the Gospel of John. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. He also saw the face, the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other cloths, but was folded up in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary stood outside near the tomb, crying. As she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? She replied, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. As soon as she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't hold on to me, for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then she told them what he had said to her. Here ends the reading. As many of you may already know, Although I am originally from Texas in the United States, I currently live in Tokyo, Japan, where I've been for the last four years. And since arriving here, I have uh, learned a lot about the, the Christian uh, community here in Japan and about how the Japanese uh, people kind of view Christianity and understand Christianity. And one of the most interesting things I uh, learned after I got here is that there is a place in northern Japan called uh, the Tomb of Christ. And there's even like a road sign, like on, on the highway, there's a road sign that says like, you know, get off here to see the Tomb of Christ. And uh, when you go, there are two mounds 
uh, on it, kind of on top of a, a little hill. And I, I haven't been, but I've seen pictures. And there, the, there are crosses on them, big crosses on them, and a little uh, like information center nearby. And every year they have a festival celebrating uh, Jesus's arrival in life in Japan. <laughs> and the story goes that, uh, according according to uh, the folks who maintain this tomb of Christ, the story goes that, that it was uh, not Jesus who died on the cross, but Jesus's brother who replaced him at the last minute so that Jesus would not die. And that Jesus then escaped uh, Jerusalem and traveled you know, uh, across India down the, you know, down the Silk Road and into eventually into Japan where uh, he lived a long life and eventually died and was buried in northern Japan in this small in this small village. The story is fascinating um, for many reasons. There there are lots of stories about what happened to Jesus after the crucifixion. There are uh, many you you could almost call them conspiracy theories about what happened to Jesus. And there have been for you know the last two thousand years, ever ever since he died, there there have been stories describing what people think happened to Jesus after the crucifixion. Because it's very hard to take the story that the the Christian community um, puts forward as as canon. Uh, it's very hard to take that story at face value for many people to say that well he died and they put him in a in a tomb and rolled a heavy stone in front of the tomb. And he was raised from the dead and rolled the stone away and left in the middle of the night. And when they came the next morning, they couldn't find him because he was gone. The four gospel stories all have a slightly different take on this event. The Gospel of Mark, which was the first gospel to be written, uh, closest to the actual events, and is the shortest and most to the point uh, gospel, Originally, uh, doesn't even doesn't have the uh, the empty tomb at all. It ends with it ends with um, them burying Jesus, and <laughs> later it was added on as, a, as additional material. Um, but you know, the, originally the, the Gospel of, of Mark just left it as an open question as to as to what happened after that. Matthew and Luke, which were written uh, around the same time. Both tell a very similar story of uh, going to the tomb and uh, Jesus not being there, but, but there being uh, angels instead when the tomb was empty. One of them, I forget which one off the top of my head, I think it's Matthew, talks about the Roman, uh, the Roman, uh, or no, the, sorry, the, the Jewish officials going to the Romans and saying, you know, you should, you should really guard the tomb because the you know Jesus's followers might try to to steal the body in the middle of the night and say that Jesus had has been risen from the dead and so you should guard the tomb and so they send they send a bunch of guards and the guards are all uh, are all knocked out you know uh, knocked unconscious by the by the angels when they come to roll the stone away and and uh, and to you know bring Jesus out and so when they when they come to the the Romans say, "Oh, we can't, we can't, you know, we can't tell anybody what happened, so we just have to, you know, we'll just say we don't know, <laughs> we don't know what happened." Uh, and then, of course, in John, which was the latest 
uh, you know, the, the gospel written, we have this story of Mary Magdalene going to the tomb, and then of course she goes back and tells um, tells the disciples. In, in all the stories of the of the empty tomb, it, it's the women who come first. The women come first to take care of the body, uh, and because if you remember, they put they put Jesus in the tomb because it was the Passover. And so they were going to, you know, this wasn't his final resting place. This was a place close to where he had been executed that they could put him uh, and, and roll a stone in front to protect him from any kind of wild beasts or, or you know, grave robbers or anything until they could come back for him uh, and, and do proper burial rites after the Passover. So they come to to finish the burial and find that he's missing. In John's version, it's just Mary Magdalene. In, in, the, uh, in the other versions, it's, it's often uh, you know, the Mary Magdalene and uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and often a third, a third woman as well. And so it's always the women who come, and then they, they run off and tell the male disciples, and then the, the men come after. Uh, and in this case, and it's always Peter, and in, the, and in this case, because this is John, the Gospel of John, of course, it also involves the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is a character we see throughout the the Gospel of John that that is unique to the Gospel of John. Some had, a, had originally kind of assumed this was John, but uh, there's there's not strong evidence to support that either way to see whether the author meant for it to be John or, or somebody else. But of course, in this case, uh, there, I think there's some symbolism here about. The gospel whom I mean the the disciple whom Jesus loved arriving at the at the tomb first, but not going in, and then it's Peter that goes into the tomb first, um, because of course Peter was considered by the early church to be the kind of founder of the church. He he was he was the the person uh, who was most responsible for the creation of the church as an organization, and kind of the the stone on which the church was built. Peter being a um, Petras, which which means stone. His name literally is stone, rock. Uh, so there's just lots of stories, and I mean you can tell, I think, by kind of reading between the lines in the gospel stories we have that there must have been stories even in the days that the gospels were written, because the, to put in, like I said, I think it was Matthew, the the story about the the Jewish authorities telling the Romans, hey, you better guard the tomb because the Christians are going to come take him in the middle of the night and they're going to say that he was resurrected and we don't, you know, we don't, we don't want them to get away with that. For, for that to make it into the story, in my opinion, that must have been a rumor, right? That must have been a rumor going on at the time that, that they had come and taken Jesus in the middle of the night to make it look like he had been resurrected. And certainly, you know, uh, within the church for thousand more than a thousand years everyone just kind of took it at face value that that jesus had been resurrected and had you know uh, had been brought back and i mean that was the, that was how it went but in the last few hundred years as we've learned more and more about science and the way that our universe works and we've embraced the scientific method and we've worked to to rid ourselves of many um Kind of uh, aspects of of, of magic and and, um, and I guess wonder in our in our society, we have uh, often 
especially kind of in uh, the liberal Christian tradition. And by liberal here, I don't mean uh, the way that Americans talk about liberal, liberal and conservative politically. I mean the the liberal theology tradition, which is which is a tradition that started in the in the eighteen hundreds. There was this kind of um, reworking of the story to say that well, you know, um, you know, we don't know if Jesus was really raised from the dead or not. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. But, um, but the the disciple you know, either way, the disciples experienced him as being still being around after after the uh, the crucifixion and you know that 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 kind of fit especially with kind of uh mid-century 1950s 1960s 1970s um mentality about these things is really starting to change and, and whatnot and then of course we have the uh we have kind of the fundamentalist movement and the the kind of conservative evangelical movement coming back and saying no 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 this these this is literal truth the Bible, the Bible is literal truth, and you have to believe it exactly like it says, or or you're wrong. Um, which, of course, uh, I guess you can assume by what I'm saying is not what I believe personally. I don't, I don't believe the Bible is is literal truth. Uh, so, what do we do? What, what do we do as as Christians? What do we do as as followers of Jesus? What do we do, especially as Christian Universalists? about this story because often when i when i explain to people that i'm a christian universalist and i differentiate that from from um kind of a multi-religious universalist or from a unitarian universalist and i say you know i'm a christian universalist i'm following the christian tradition they say well how can you be you know a universalist and still believe in the cross still believe in in you know uh, Jesus' death on the cross as being a meaningful part of salvation. Like, if everyone is saved, then then why why did Jesus die? Why why was Jesus crucified? And I'm sure this is a difficult question for many people who are um, who who have come to Christian universalism, especially from you know the the christian tradition of their youth wherever that wherever that is especially if that tradition is 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 very uh theologically conservative and in a way where they they have these uh, perhaps even fundamental evangelical kind of um belief systems where they're they're saying that oh, this has got to be literal truth or it's hard you know if this isn't true then nothing is true and the, and, the, and all of christianity is a lie but that's that's often the you know the, the complete other end of the spectrum that people go to right away well if this isn't true if this is if jesus wasn't raised from the dead then the whole thing is 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 bs and there's no reason um that we should be said we should be following it at all and this has been an argument by the way for more than 100 years that oh if, there, if jesus wasn't raised from the dead then there's no you know there's no reason for this but I think that um, to fall back on something that I just commented on a minute ago, you know, it's what we don't really know. We we don't really know if Jesus was raised from the dead physically. If if his, you know his body physically you know reanimated and got up and, and walked out of the of the of the tomb, it it's difficult to know. In fact, there's no way for us to know in this life. Now we can have faith. We can we can believe that that is the truth. Um, because of the testimony of previous Christians, right? The testimony of our ancestors. And that's what we're talking about really is testimony because the gospels and, and the, the Bible 
Um, there are a lot of folks who, who like to, who, who really hold to the idea that, that the Bible text is, is, um, kind of absolute and, uh, and, you know, infallible that it was God, you know, speaking in, you know, controlling the, the hands of the writers as they wrote, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't personally believe that. I think that the Bible was uh, an inspired document, a document written by people who were trying to, to understand the reality of their own, uh, religious experiences. Uh, you know, uh, an example that, that, uh, someone said in, in, in seminary that I, I thought was really good was the Bible is like somebody who is, is pointing out the window at a tree and you can't see the tree from where you're standing. You can only see the person pointing. And so they're, they're pointing, they're trying to describe the tree, their, their experience. And there are different people in the room and they, they have slightly different views of the tree, but by piecing together, perhaps all of their different views, we, you can come to understand the basic idea of what they're trying to, to point at, but their testimony is not the tree. You know, the, the Bible is not God. The Bible is a, a document written by flawed people over hundreds of years, describing their experiences of God. Uh, I think that's really important. That doesn't mean that I, that I think the Bible is just another piece of literature. I don't. I think it's a very important, very you know, core document of our faith. We have to to to, to grapple with it. We have to take it very seriously. Um, but nonetheless, that's that's kind of how I look at it. So we don't really know. We don't know if if Jesus was raised bodily. Now. Um, as someone just reminded me in the chat, actually, uh, he, Paul even says this in First Corinthians. He says, if Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. And in this passage, he's talking about um, being in the law and not being in the law, right? He's talking about, about that. He's talking about how Christ, uh, Christ's death and resurrection freed us from, from the law. But this is exactly the point that I'm that I'm trying to get at. What what uh, Paul says in this passage is: if Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is worthless because you are still in your sins. So the question is: what does it mean to be raised? Does it mean a bodily resurrection? I think it's like I said, it's hard for us to know. I I think you know, and Paul certainly. Uh, had an experience of Jesus, but Paul's experience of Jesus, when Jesus appears to Paul, is very much like a vision, the way he describes it, right? It's a vision. And so the question is, what was the resurrection to the apostles, to the, the, the original disciples of Jesus? Obviously, something happened. Something happened because if it didn't, we wouldn't have all of these stories. We wouldn't have all of this testimony. The Romans really thought, I think, that by crucifying Jesus, they were going to break this movement of his followers. They were going to convince them to disband and that they would, that they would flee, you know, that they would, they would run away and, and be, and be afraid of the power of Rome and, and disappear. And on the contrary, 
they took the experience of having their their you know their uh, messiah their leader their their holy person murdered they took that experience and made it a core part of what it means to be a christian and they spread their understanding you know 40 days later or 50 days later i'm sorry at, at, uh, at pentecost the church goes out into the world and begins to begins to preach the message to the world you know what happened in those 50 days how how did they experience it maybe jesus really was bodily resurrected and and appeared to to the disciples uh in you know in the the room with them physically like you know standing there maybe they experienced jesus through their interactions with other people we certainly see that in the reading you know, Mary Magdalene sees Jesus, but he doesn't. But she doesn't recognize Jesus. She thinks Jesus is just a gardener, and she asks if maybe he's taken Jesus somewhere uh, because he's you know trying to clean up the tomb or whatever. She begs him to tell to tell her where the, where he's uh, taken Jesus, and then Jesus says, "Mary, it's me." Uh, likewise, on the, in the on the road to Emmaus, the the two disciples who are going along the road and. Uh, come upon the, the person that is they come upon Jesus. They don't recognize it's Jesus. And they talk the whole way along the road about, about the, the, uh, not only the gospels, but about all of the, of the Bible and how Jesus works into all of it. And their eyes are opened when they sit down, uh, at dinner with Jesus and they have bread and wine. Again, here we see the Eucharist, we see the shared meals. Um, then their eyes are opened and they, they see Jesus for who he is and then he vanishes, right? That's the story of, of Emmaus. And so we have lots of stories of, of of the disciples finding Jesus in places they weren't expecting. There's a story uh, in John, at the end of, in the John, where they're out on the boat and Jesus appears on the on the shore and they don't recognize who he is. They think he's a fisherman or somebody, and he and he tells them, hey, you know, hey, throw your net on the other side, and they do it, and they and they pull up all these fish, and then they realize it's Jesus, you know, afterwards. So there's lots of these experiences of them of them finding Jesus and not not seeing Jesus for who he is until he has said or done something that reveals who he is to them. You know, maybe their experience was that they they found him in the faces of each other and in, the, in their interactions with each other, that they, they experienced him in that way in his remembrance. You know, that's maybe the, the, the opposite view of the, the bodily resurrection. Maybe it was something in between. Maybe he had a, you know, he says that when, that when the resur resurrection occurs, that, you know, our bodies will be different than, than they are now. You know, when he's uh, confronted by the, by the Sadducees about uh, Levite marriage, he says, you know, a woman is married and, and her husband dies and, and, you know, uh, she marries her her brother-in-law because that's what the law says, and he dies, and you know it, before a child's had, and then she marries the next brother-in-law like that for seven times, you know in the resurrection, which you know which uh, man will have her as his wife, and Jesus says you've misunderstood that you know, the resurrection will will be different, it'll be different. We won't have the same kind of bodies. We'll have different kinds of bodies, right? And so maybe the resurrection, you know. It's bodily resurrection, but it's a, of a different kind. Maybe it's the literal resurrection of the body, but it's some kind of spiritual resurrection. There are lots of different ideas about this, and I think what's important is not the answer, because we, we can we can never know the answer. Uh, the only the only time we're going to know the answer is when we, you know, meet meet Jesus again, <laughs> you know, after after our own deaths. But until then, we're never going to know the answer. And and so, I think what's more important is the question. 
the empty tomb is a conundrum, a mystery. And we're so focused in our in this day and age on solving all of our mysteries. Our mysteries all have to have answers. But a lot of times the answer is not the point. It's the question. It's it's the ex- the exercise of asking the question, of sitting in the mystery, of trying to comprehend the mystery that is the most important thing. And I think this is a good example of that. Like we can we can sit in the unknown of not really understanding exactly how Jesus was re- was resurrected. How did the disciples see and experience Jesus after the resurrection? And we can we can sit with that mystery and we can believe different things about it amongst ourselves. And that's okay. It's not a you know it it's it's really not a core uh, important belief, in my opinion. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus, I think, is important. And that's what Paul talks about. Um, because it's through the resurrection. This is, this is also important. Why is the resurrection important? Why is it important to us as universalists? I haven't answered that question yet. It, it's important because it's through the resurrection that we see in Jesus that God defeats death and evil in the world and defeats the, the the powers and the principalities that we as human beings have placed into the world, right? That despite the fact that the Romans and the and the Jewish leadership, uh, the Judean leadership, conspired to have Jesus killed and succeeded in killing him, despite that he came back and the movement went on. And God was successful because God is all-powerful and can be successful no matter what we do to try and stop God, right? That is why, in my opinion, the resurrection is still very important. And the other part of it is that even if the resurrection was not necessary because God had already forgiven all of us anyway, it was still inevitable. It was still inevitable that that Jesus... uh, would speak out so strongly against the status quo, against the the religious um, hypocrisy of his day, and that he would be put at odds with with the religious leadership, with with the the government, and all these things. And and because of that, he was crucified. And certainly, he knew it. He I mean, he spoke about it all the time that he was going to be crucified, that he had to be crucified. So. I don't think that, that his death has to be um, a payment in some way for our salvation, but his resurrection is still the demonstration of our salvation. You know, he it's through the resurrection uh, and the empty tomb that we come to understand that God will triumph over the evil of the world, that God will triumph over our own sins, our own uh, attempts to to stop God's um, God's will, and so that is the importance of the resurrection. You know, uh, and people say, well, if you know, if if uh, everyone is saved, then what's the point? Why did Jesus die? Jesus died to live. Jesus died because God came and lived with us to understand what it's like to be a human being. Right? Jesus was emptied, emptied himself, and was obedient to God up even into death died for us, for our, our own sins, right? Died because the human condition is such that we are all um, struggling with something, right? 
And so even the even the the leadership, whom were, you know conspired who conspired to to kill him, he uh, uh, forgave. Right? He asked God to forgive. Even the murderers, who you know, the bandits who were dying with him on the cross, he asked God to forgive. He, you know, even the soldiers, right? He asked God to forgive. He he knew that that's how people were, and that that would be the inevitable outcome. But God loves us anyway. Like the father in the in in Luke who welcomed the son back, doesn't ask where the son has been, doesn't ask for for you know his money back, doesn't ask, you know, doesn't doesn't uh, tell the son I told you so, just welcomes him back and says, "Oh, I'm so glad you're home." Right? This is how God is, and and that's why the story of the empty tomb is so important uh, to us as Christians and as Christian universalists. Amen.